I wanna invite you to turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30 today. As we near the end of our series through Deuteronomy, we have just a couple of messages left and we're getting to the end of Moses' speech. Uh, Moses, is, as you know from the past few weeks, is speaking to the Israelites before they head into the promised land and he's, he's giving them instruction on how he wants, to, wants them to live or how God wants them to live, really. And um, we're getting towards the end of that today. So we'll look at that. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Uh, while you're turning there, a couple of quick announcements Next week, uh, we are having a men's worship night on Wednesday night. That's going to be here at the church at 7 p.m. So all men, you're uh, welcome to come out and worship with us. And I think really looking forward to spending that time together with you. So please join us next Wednesday at 7 p.m. We also have some caroling outreaches happening the next two Mondays. Tomorrow night, we're going to go caroling in the Sarver community. And you don't have to go to the Sarver campus to participate in that. We'd love to have you come. We're going to meet at the Sarver campus at 645 and carol for about an hour. And, um, you know, about seven to eight is when we expect to be out. So we'd love to have you join us. We've made some gifts that we want to pass out to our neighbors there and uh, just go and, and spread the love of Christ. And then we're going to do the same thing here in Lower Borough the following Monday. So Monday the 12th. And uh, we'll meet here at the church. I believe that one is at 7 p.m. But you can double check with Sean Fenner if you'd like to be a part of uh, the caroling here in Lower Borough. So love to have you join us. It's going to be a fun way just to celebrate the Christmas season. So please come out and, and celebrate Christ's birth with us. Speaking of Christmas season, Christmas Eve services this year will be at 4 and 6 on the 24th. That's a Saturday this year. Sunday the 25th, we will not have worship services here. So please join us on Christmas Eve. We'd love to have you uh, here for that and bring some friends. We will be prepared for guests. So we uh, encourage you to be thinking about who you can invite for Christmas Eve. Again, those services are at 4 and 6 p.m. All right, that should have given you plenty of time to find Deuteronomy. Let's read chapter 30, verses 11 through 20. Last week, we looked at the first 10 verses of this chapter. So let's pick up where we left off last week, looking at verse 11 together. This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven, get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. It is not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea, get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. But the message is very near in your mouth and in your heart so that you may follow it. See, today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, statutes and ordinances, so that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you do not listen, and you are led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him, for he is your life, and he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Would you pray with me?
Father, as we look to your word, and as we specifically look at this passage, which was given to a, a specific group of people at a specific time for a specific purpose, yet contains so much that we need to hear today, I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, allow us to receive your word, speak truth to us today. Help us to know you better. Help us to know the path to life. Make known to us your salvation today. Father, I pray that you would allow us to just let down any defenses we might have against your word that have been caused by the, the brutalness of this life or the world that we live in and allow us to receive what you have for us today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna talk about salvation today. What's, what's a little tricky about that, not tricky, but just requires some attention, I guess, is that we are looking at Deuteronomy 30, which is an Old Testament passage given under the Old Covenant to God's covenant people, Israel. And salvation for them had, had some distinct differences. This is before Jesus came, before he died on the cross, before he, he, he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven. This, is, this was a different era of God's redemptive history. And so we need to understand that and we need to be clear about that. However, there's a lot that salvation in this context has with salvation in our context. And so as we look at the word together today, I want, <clears throat> I want to try to draw those parallels for us. But let me be clear from the beginning. I want, to, I want to define salvation as we experience it as New Testament believers in Christ. So the first thing you see on the handout is just a, a quick definition of what salvation means for us today. And I want to put this out there because it's a, a little bit different than what salvation was for them. On the handout, you'll see this. Salvation is the gift of forgiveness of sins and eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, in the pre-Christ era, under the old covenant, salvation was the forgiveness of sins. Salvation was the promise of eternal life. But those things were not attained through faith in the work in, of Jesus Christ. Those things were attained through faith in the old covenant that God had given them. And so there's... There's a drastic, I don't want to say improvement, though it is, fulfillment of the Old Testament law when we come to the New Testament. And so that's the big difference. Jesus, if I could just say it simply, Jesus is the big difference between their experience with salvation and ours. But a lot of other, a lot of other things are the same, even though the Old Covenant Salvation through the Old Covenant was a placeholder for the work of Jesus Christ that would happen in the New Testament. There's a lot of similarities between salvation then and salvation now. And so that's what we want to kind of pull from this passage today. What can we learn about salvation as it pertains to us today? First thing you'll see on the handout, it says, salvation is not hidden from you. Salvation is not hidden from you. As Moses speaks to the Israelites, he's speaking to a congregation of people who for, 
for 40 years have been wandering through the wilderness together and they've been hearing the word of God proclaimed. They were people who, who they, the, the idea that you could have lived in the Israelite community and not heard the word of God is unthinkable. This band of people has been hearing the word of God if, if they've been obeying God's commands day in and day out. What God expected of them and what, how God proposed that they relate to him was right there in front of them. And I would say that the same is true for us today. Salvation is not hidden from us. Salvation is not a mystery to us today. There are people who are wandering lost in this world, searching for the thing that is right in front of us. Let's look at Deuteronomy 30 real quick together. Verse 11 says, the command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It is not in heaven so that you have to ask who will go up to heaven, get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. Likewise, it is not across the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea, get it for us and proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. But the message is very near you. He says it's even in your mouth, it's in your heart so that you may follow it. They have been proclaimed to, they have been, they, they have, they have been witnesses of, they have been recipients of the message of salvation. They have been told time and time again how to live in proper relationship with God. And so now Moses says, hey, what you need to do, how you ought to live is not a mystery. It's not hidden. It's not somewhere way far off that we need to send somebody to get it and come back and tell us. We have heard what God desires. We have heard what God commands. And I would say to us here today, salvation is not hidden from us. It's right here. It's right here in the text. It's right here in God's word. Yeah, it's, it's true that a lot of things about life are unsearchable or unknowable or mysterious to us. But one thing that does not fall into that category is how we ought to relate to God through Jesus Christ. How we are to come into salvation has been made plain and has been made clear time and time again. We know the answer. We know the path to life. Love, follow, and obey Jesus. It's simple. It's right here in front of us. This is what Jesus' coming to the earth was meant to accomplish. Let's look in the New Testament at John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, John begins his gospel. He begins his account of the life and ministry of Jesus and what he came to accomplish with, with these words in verse 14, he says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And then in verse 18, he says, no one has ever seen God. That's the problem, isn't it? 
We don't see God. The, pro- the, the problem is, is we have been born into a world where perhaps the most important thing, who created us and why we are here and what does he expect of us is not something that we see with our own eyes. No one has ever seen God, the one and only son who is God himself and is at the father's side has revealed him. The greatest problem that we have as human beings born into a universe where God is no longer visible to us has been resolved in the coming of Jesus. There was a day at the beginning of of humanity where God was daily visible to mankind. The Bible tells us that God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, and he related with them on that level that, that we desire to know him, and, and there was no mystery. There was just God there with his creation. But sin caused a separation between God and man, and then man, for for all throughout human history now, has been born into a world where his creator is not immediately visible to him. That's a problem. That's a big problem. If you were born into this world and your family immediately abandoned you and you were left to, to, to live and grow in a world where you had no connection to the the human reason for why you are here, your earthly family, that creates problems. It, it, it creates a crisis of identity. It creates an insecurity. Imagine, you know, I'm, this is such a stupid example, but I'm thinking of um, Tarzan. <laughs> Tarzan's born a human being among non-humans, right? He's born in the jungle and he has to grow up and, and, and there's no immediate answers to why he is here or to why he is different. You and I were born into a world where God is not immediately visible to us. That's a problem. But the good news of the gospel is that problem has been resolved in Jesus Christ Jesus came to make the invisible visible. Jesus came to reveal God to us, to make him known. And now we live in an era where salvation is not hidden. It is plain what we must do. We must believe in Jesus Christ. That's good news. It's very good news that salvation is available. You do not need, you not need to send a delegate to go and to, to find some hidden message. It's right in front of you. Moses says it's even in your mouth. It's in your heart that you might obey. That's not all we learned from this passage, though. The next thing you'll see on the handout is that salvation is a choice between life and death. The little bumper that we play before I get up and preach each Sunday, it kind of hones in on this passage, this choice that we have between life and death. Salvation, salvation is, is, is really 
deciding between one of two options. And, and the difference between the two could not be more dramatic. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30 says, See, today I've set before you life and prosperity and death and adversity. There, the choice that you and I have to make in regard to how we respond to the gospel of Jesus and how we respond to the, the life, ministry, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ is a choice between life and death. It's that dramatic. There's, there's a number of ways that I was, when I read verse 15, and I was thinking about, okay, and on one hand, we have life and prosperity, and on the other hand, we have death and adversity, and I was comparing some other translations, how they translate um, that word adversity, and some of them, instead of adversity, they say death and evil. Some say death and destruction. Some say death and disaster. All of those are pretty bad. None of those are are seem to be a logical choice, yet so many choose it. It is our natural state. We, we, we naturally choose death and adversity. Salvation is an offer to get off of that path of death and destruction or death and adversity and to experience life and prosperity. Salvation is, is an offer to be rescued from not just death in this life, but far more horrific death in eternity and to receive life and prosperity. What a dramatic choice we have to make. And God gives us but one life to figure it out, but one life to make it. There's no... There's no second chance after we've lived this life. We must choose now. We must decide now between life and death. That's why Moses has, has been going to such lengths to make clear to the Israelites, this man has exhausted himself. He has literally spent his life trying to, to get through to the Israelites how important this is. He's not being dramatic. There are things in life that, that rise to this level of importance. Let me just share a little bit of a personal story, a family member uh, right now, actually last night, um, I don't want to give too many personal details, I guess, for their sake, not for mine, but a family member just flew to another part of the country to enter into um, a drug and alcohol pro uh, re rehabilitation program because for years now they have been drinking themselves to death. And it's literally gotten to the point where if they continue on this path, they're going to die. That's not being dramatic. This is literally what's happening to them. Their, 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 their body can, can no longer continue to handle the amount of alcohol that they are consuming without succumbing to death. 
There are things that in life, we're teaching Reese to drive right now. And um, there, there are decisions that you make when you get behind the wheel of a car that could be the choice between life and death. Are you gonna put on your seatbelt? Are you gonna put the phone away? Are you, there, there are things that it may seem dramatic when, I, when I'm talking about these things to her, but in the back of my head, I, I'm going, if she's in an accident, and chances are someday she probably will be, statistically, the, the difference between having a seatbelt on and not having a seatbelt on is life or death oftentimes. Putting that cell phone down is a choice between, it can be, become a choice between life. There are, there are things in life that really boil down to that. They're that simple. They're that dramatic. Salvation is the ultimate choice between life and death. We are headed for death. Humanity has no other solution for the universal problem of human mortality. Some are hoping in science. Some are, are betting on reincarnation. But the reality is, is that man is hopelessly heading for death. But there's a choice. And that choice is to receive the salvation that God offers. That choice is to receive the salvation that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to, to provide for us through living a perfect sinless life, life and dying a brutal death on the cross to pay the price for our sins. And now he says, you don't have to die. You can live. Today I've set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. Choose. Next thing we see on the handout is that salvation is not complicated. God doesn't make it complicated. I love this about this. Religion makes salvation complicated. Man-made religion always has all kinds of rules and hoops that you have to jump through and steps that you have to take. And there, if you look at the man-made religions of the world, they're, they're, man, it's like you have to spend every waking moment of every day of your life to climb up this ladder to get to this place where somehow you hope that you might receive salvation. Religion makes it complicated. God makes salvation simple. Verse 16 says, for I'm commanding you today to love the Lord your God. We'll talk about this in a second, but why is, why is God so insistent that mankind loves him? That seems so insecure. That seems so narcissistic. It seems so self-serving. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you realize the reason that God is so insistent that we love him is because he loves us and he knows the only way that we will live is to love him back. Because he's the source of life. We'll talk about that more in a second. Let's finish the passage. 
to walk in his ways and to keep his commands, statutes, and ordinances so that you may live and multiply and the Lord your God may bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Salvation is not complicated. Love God, walk in his ways, and keep his commands. It's pretty simple. It's not, you don't need a PhD to figure this out. You don't, you don't need years and years of experience. Some of the youngest people in this room are doing this better than, than the rest of us. It's not complicated. Give your heart to him. Love him. Walk in his ways. Obey his commands. Now, what's awesome is he, he doesn't even say what to do that well. We didn't, we didn't have, like, that's, that's what Jesus did on our behalf. We are stumbling through this attempt at obedience. We are wavering in our love. We often fail to keep his commands, yet salvation, we know we have salvation because we continue to persevere in our love for him. This is how simple the New Testament makes it. The Apostle John writes in 1 John 5, 12, this is a great verse to have stored in your memory. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's pretty simple. A loved one dies. The immediate question Christians begin to ask is, was he or she saved? In other words, are they going to spend eternity with Christ? Well, did they have the Son? Did they have Jesus? Was he their Savior? If so, good. It's pretty simple. It's not complicated. Did, were they a great church member? I don't know. It doesn't say anything about that here. Did, did, they, did they consistently live the way we think a Christian should live their lives? It doesn't say that here. It just says, did they have the Son? If they did, they had life. They have life. Tragically, though, if they don't have the Son of God, they do not have life. It's not complicated. It's consequential. It's important. But it's not complicated. Next, we see that salvation is not expendable. It's not expendable. This was a tough one to articulate. I went with, I went with it's not expendable in the end. It was the best I could do. <laughs> I think as we, I think, but I think as we read the passage, you understand what I was hoping to communicate. Verse 17 says, but if your heart turns away, so Moses is telling them, Go into the land, obey God, love him, live according to his commands and his statutes. But if your heart turns away and you do not listen and you are led astray to bow and worship to other gods and serve them, I tell you today that you will certainly perish and will not prolong your days in the land you are entering to possess across the Jordan. I don't think this is a threat, though it's, it's certainly fair for it to be a threat. I don't think it's a threat. I think it's a statement of fact. 
I know I said earlier, why does God insist that we love him? Because he is the only source of life. It's, it's, this, it's the same reason that I want my kids to love me. It's a similar reason, I should say, why, of why I want my kids to love me. I think it's for their good. I think from, as, as I observe the world that we live in, the, the human beings that seem to do best live in healthy relationships with the people most important to them. That's not to say that you can't overcome not having those healthy relationships. It's not to say that, that, that you won't be okay if you don't have that. Just saying that the, the way nature operates is that it goes easiest and it goes best for those who have those healthy relationships. And so I want my kids to love me. I think it's good for them. I want what is good for them. Okay, take that and just, in, just increase it exponentially. God knows the only way that we will live, the only way that we will experience goodness in life, and especially in eternity, is to love him, to relate properly to him. And so Moses says, if you're, hey, if you go in the land and you don't do this, you'll perish. If you climb up on top of the Empire State Building and you jump off without a parachute or anything to keep you from hitting the ground, what's going to happen? You'll perish, you'll die. You'll hit the ground so hard that you won't be able to live anymore. That's just a statement of fact. It's just the natural consequence of ignoring the law of gravity. Well, there is a greater reality than the law of gravity, and that is the law of spiritual life. Separate yourself from God, turn away from him, Go and pursue other things in life. You are separating yourself from the source of life. This isn't, this is, salvation is not, it's not optional. It's either this or death. It's either this or, or eternal separation. Just far worse than anything that you might experience in this life. That's why Acts 4.12 says, <clears throat> excuse me, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Salvation in Jesus Christ is the only option. God has not, God has not made any other way to get to him. This is, this is why the exclusivity of salvation in Christ is such an important thing for us to stand on. We, because we, we want to be kind and compassionate, I think some believers are tempted to say, well, as long as people of other faiths are sincere, as long as they're really trying to love God, that's not the way it works. There, there's just, if, if God is God and he has, he has designed one way to be saved, and that is, that is through Jesus Christ, then there's no hope outside of that. Because no other religion or no other uh, man-made philosophy offers a solution to the problem of sin. If, 
If life is found in being in proper relationship with God and every other religion does not offer a way to deal with our sin and bring us back into a reconciled and proper relationship with God, then they're just false religions. There is salvation in no one else. No other religion offers what Jesus came and did. They're just man-made religions. It's not optional. It's not expendable. There's no way around it. You either have the Son and have life, or you do not have the Son and you do not have life. Next, we got two more. Excuse me. Our salvation will be judged in a court of trustworthy witnesses. Our salvation will be judged in a court of trustworthy witnesses. I actually really like this one. I know it might sound like an odd point to make, but wait till you see what Moses says in verse 19. In verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Some of the Israelites presumably were sitting there going, Moses is whack. I'm not listening to this guy. Who is he? Why does he get to decide? Why, did, why, why do we have to listen to this guy? Why can't we just, why, why can't we go and follow somebody else? And Moses says, heaven and earth will be witnesses against you. They will, when, oftentimes when the biblical writers say things, two things that are opposite ends of the spectrum, they, they mean to include everything in between as well. And I think that's what's going on here. Moses is saying all of, all of creation will stand as witnesses to the truth of this reality. There's life, there's death. There's blessing, there's curse. There's one way to live. There's one way to know God. There's one way to be saved. And someday you and I will stand in a, a court of judgment. And in, in our best attempts to reach justice in our society, we have courts, right? And in the courts, you have you have. Uh, prosecuting attorneys and you have defense attorneys and you have judges and you have juries and you have witnesses that come forth. And all of this is an attempt to get to what is true. But because we're flawed and because we live in a fallen world, that's not always what happens. If you have enough money to hire a good attorney, what they're going to do is they're going to try to skew the truth. They're, they're going to try to manipulate the truth. That's their job. That's, that's, that's what they're there to do, to, to try to, to, to make things kind of work in your favor. But in the court of God's judgment, there'll be no manipulating the truth. There will just be what is true. You, you, we all know people that are just slick talkers. They can kind of like talk themselves 
um, out of any trouble or any situation. And, and like sometimes you have an encounter with one of these people and you thought you had them nailed to the wall on something and they kind of get out of it and you walk away. You're like, what happened? Like, it's so obvious what is true. And, and they just, they just kind of wiggled out of this somehow. That won't happen in this courtroom. All of creation will stand as witnesses to what is true. All of creation, there's no attorney that can get you out of that. There's no, there'll be no manipulating of, of facts and information. They'll just be what is true. You will stand before God. You will give an account for how you have lived your life and how you have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by that one thing alone, you will be judged justly. This is how Revelation 20 describes the scene. Revelation 20 verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I find that, I love that sentence. Why are earth and heaven fleeing? And what is it like for for earth and heaven to have nowhere to hide? They're exposed. That's the way it is in God's court of of justice and judgment. There's nowhere to hide. there's, There's just raw exposure. There just is what is. I also saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. This sobering picture of what it will be like to stand before God where you have nowhere to hide, where you don't get to talk yourself out of anything. There's just accurately recorded how you lived your life. And what did you do with God's offer of salvation in Jesus Christ? That's what it means to to have your name written in the book of life is to have been saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. None of us are gonna do real well standing on our own merit. We all need a savior. We all need Jesus to stand in our gap. There's but one defense attorney, and that's Jesus. Jesus. There'll be no getting out of what is real in that moment. And the consequences are eternal. So, this whole passage, this whole text, I think in one regard, this whole book is moving towards this one point. Why is Moses telling all of them, telling them all of this? This guy is old. He's about to die. Why doesn't he just give it up? Give it a rest, Moses. 
And it all comes down to this one point in this this one short passage that we're going to look at next. The last thing you see on the handout is this. Choose life. Choose life to save yourself and others. Where's Moses going with all of this? He's about to tell us. The second half of verse 19, he says, Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him. For he is your life, and he will prolong your days as you live in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For these Israelites, the promises of God, God's revelation at that point, because God progressively reveals himself and his plan throughout human history. And the, the, the revelation essentially ends with this promise that if they will properly respond to God, they will live long in this land and prosper. But in God's continued revelation, we have this promise that we'll not just live long in a land here on earth, but that we will live forever with him in eternity. So to choose life is to choose eternal life. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Here's the simplicity of Moses' salvation message. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him. Where are you at in those three areas of your walk with Christ. Uh, let me just get past what, I don't, want, I don't want to ask how you did this week or how this year has gone for you. We think about that a lot. We kind of live in the, oh man, I've been struggling with this. I've been struggling with that. I'm not doing really good here. Has your life over the past years or perhaps the past decades been a life lived in love for God, obedience to him, and faithfulness. If it is, great, praise God. If it's not, what, what needs to change? We're approaching the end of a year and in the beginning of a new one, there's no better time than right now to stop and say, man, is this what my life looks like? Am I loving God? Am I, am I being faithful to him? If not, what do I need to do differently? How do I how do I how do I make that adjustment? And it it starts with one really, really important step. If you've not received Jesus Christ as your Savior and really given your life to Him, if you've just been playing kind of toying with the idea of following Christ, if you've just been like, hey, I don't mind going to church, you know, makes me feel good or whatever but you've not really given your life over to Christ, that's where it begins. You must surrender to him and say, Jesus, I wanna live my life for you. Teach me, teach me to follow, teach me to walk with, with you. And then you need to attach yourself to brothers and sisters in Christ. You need Christian community. You need to find a, a, a group 
of believers in Christ who are equally committed to that same pursuit of him and, and, and encourage one another and build up one another and, and strengthen one another for this walk. And then you need to do that the rest of your life. Year in and year out, live for him, live for Christ and, and, and let him use your life for things that will count for eternity. As you think about that, would you close your eyes for a moment? Just so that there's a little sense of a private, a little sense of privacy in a room full of people with your eyes closed. As you contemplate the need to choose life. I'm curious. I want to I want to ask you to respond to two questions. The first one I want to know if there's anybody in this room who wants to make the decision today to trust Christ for salvation and give your life to him. Receive his forgiveness of sins and his gift of eternal life and start a new start a new life today. One that that is focused not on whatever it is you've been focused on, but one that's focused on following Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand so that I can see who I'm praying with today? You want to trust Christ for salvation, begin to follow him today. Thank you. Thank you. Now I also want to ask, is there anyone here who you've already made that decision, yet today you want to recommit yourself to loving him and to following him and obeying his commands. If that's you today, would you just slip up your hands? Yes. Thank you. I want to pray with those of you who raise your hands. Father, first and foremost, the greatest decision we will ever make is to receive your son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. And so I pray for those today who are making that decision. God, would you forgive us of our sins, grant us eternal life, Come into our hearts and into our minds and teach us to live for you. Cause us to be born again. Today is the day when we begin new life. And we believe that Jesus came and died for our sins so that we could live forever. We believe that today we are escaping death because Jesus died in our place. And Father, I thank you for those who made that, those decisions. God, would you firmly root them in your love and in your salvation. And Father, for the rest of us who, who it was just good to be reminded today of, of the need to commit ourselves to you. And so today, we just wanna recommit ourselves. Whatever, what, there's so many different people who are responding to that. And I, I suppose many of us have, have just grown cold in our love for Christ, or we've perhaps become entangled in the things of the world. Maybe sin has, has just drug us down and kept us from living for you the way we desire, but today we, we commit ourselves to you. God, we're, we're still here. We're still in it by your grace, and we want to live for you. We want to follow you. God, make our hearts beat with love for Jesus Christ and make our lives count for eternity, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.